The Athletic. Well, it was only last week when we wondered if this was the start of something for Manchester United. Yesterday, they were demolished 7-0 at Anfield. So, does it show that they are still playing catch-up with Liverpool, or was it a freak result? I'm Mark Chapman. This is The Athletic Football Podcast. There is the final whistle on a famous victory. A record victory for Liverpool against Manchester United. 7-0. You can have uh, setbacks, but what can't happen is that you don't stick together. And you have to and you have to do your job. You didn't track back. And that's for me unprofessional. It's really unprofessional. So joining us today from the Athletic, Adam Crafton, also two of our writers who were at Anfield yesterday, uh, Ollie Kay and our Liverpool writer. James Pearce. We've done a few uh, podcasts together recently, James. You've never been so on time for a podcast in, in the last two or three weeks. All looked as all looked as happy and as buoyant. I wonder why that is. Well, it's, it's also the first time you've asked me on when it, when it hasn't been a shambolic Liverpool defeat we've been <laughs> going over. It's, you've, only, you've only invited me on for Liverpool crisis one, two, three and four this season. <laughs> Well, I'll be honest with you, James. I wasn't even in charge. I wasn't in charge of the invites for this one, so <laughs> I kind of wanted. I, I kind of wanted to do this podcast on Rochdale's amazing victory at the weekend at the bottom of League Two <laughs> over Stevenage, but I was overruled. Um, is this a Manchester United story or a Liverpool story, James? Uh, both, from my perspective, I think. Um, I think you know it was it was a freak in terms of how the game developed from what was essentially a relatively even open in 45 minutes. But the, um, yeah, United's abject capitulation was accompanied by the kind of attacking fluency and Liverpool playing as a slick, cohesive unit that hadn't been seen all season, really. So I think that is why it's hugely significant and could have big ramifications for both. Adam? United or Liverpool? I'm still a bit shell-shocked and trying to understand it. I was on a bit of a healthy eating drive and then the game happened. <laughs> and then my evening turned into sort of a quickly bought frozen pizza and a big <laughs> and a big sort of mini egg bar um, <laughs> collapse. It was such a weird game in that, as Joe said, that United were okay in the first half. People are saying better team. I think that's a bit kind. Second half, it was just like everything... Every shot Liverpool had went in. I think like the first five shots on target went in. I mean, it's kind of completely unusual. And even at sort of two nil, three nil, actually, like when the United went forward, they had so many good openings that they just sort of messed around with and weren't clinical in terms of whether it was the final ball or the shot or things like that. Uh, Ollie, bit of both. It's, I mean, it's Liverpool. Um, performing like they haven't done all season, brilliant performance, particularly in the second half. It's United performing as they haven't done since what was it, early October the sixth, the United at Man City. It's it's um, you know they, they've had some big defeats, big defeats in the last few years, a few big defeats this season. But there, there seems to have been a, a line in the sand drawn after that defeat, six three at um, Man City in October, and they've been really good for the past, past few months. After all the praise that they've been getting. And to be honest, I think most of the praise has been for 
mentality and spirit and resilience rather than necessarily sort of technical performance. And the mentality, the spirit, resilience was absolutely absent in the second half yesterday. They collapsed and it's a reality check. It's it's you know, I think it's easy easier to write off than perhaps the you know, the four nil and the five nil last season, which seemed to be symptomatic of United's deep what looked like really deep issues at United at the time. I think you can more easily write this off as a forty-five minute freak show from from United, but it's you know it is a reality check. I wonder whether yeah. I, mean, I mean both sides, side. both right. sides and clubs are very similar here, aren't they? When we talk about reality checks and are uh, you know the question about Manchester United, as we've discussed many times, are they back, etc. You would ask the same questions here, James, wouldn't you? Are Liverpool back? And I sense, whilst deep and utter joy over the performance against their biggest rivals yesterday that there is also a reticence to go you know cartwheeling down the Anfield road in we're back and we're going to knock Real Madrid out and we're we're going to you know it's not stuffing most of it well (laughs) yeah but I don't I'm not sure I'm not sure there's that look they enjoyed that result and celebrate it but I, I wonder whether there's a realism as well yeah, I, I think there is. I think I think you could almost see that in in Klopp's demeanour immediately after the final whistle. He he, um, despite the the cops' demands for it, he, he he refrained from throwing his fist pumps in their direction. It was even speaking to Virgil Van Dijk and Harvey Elliott in the mix zone afterwards. It was there was no wild celebrations in the dressing room. That you know they were they were both saying you know what had clearly been talked about was was that you know this only counts for something if. If they do kick on for the rest of the season and and try and get close to the standards that they they reached in that second half, and you know Van Dyke was already talking about a lunchtime kickoff at Bournemouth next Saturday, so so yeah, a, a day that you know that won't ever be forgotten. You know, I don't think I think you can you can celebrate it for what it is, which was absolutely historic. You know, two hundred and eleven meetings for the, between these clubs and. No one had ever dished out that kind of hiding. But yeah, you have to frame it in the context of, of Liverpool's season, which has been largely underwhelming. I think it's what, it'll, what it could do for them. Where do you think where Liverpool were at a month ago? You know, we were, I was on this podcast talking to you about the biggest crisis of Klopp's reign, one point out of 12, hammered at Molyneux. They looked so disjointed. They looked lost, bereft of belief. And then they've taken 13 points out of 15 and it's, five Premier League clean sheets on the bounce. What could it do for the front three, Ollie? The way they clicked yesterday was was remarkable, really. I, I, you know, I, I think we've looked at it all season and, well, obviously Gakpo's only coming in, in January, but Nunez, um, Gakpo, Salah, it just hasn't clicked. There hasn't been anything like the sort of old Mane, Salah, Firmino cohesion. No real link-up play a lot of the time, you know, moments, but not consistent cohesion. And then suddenly it clicks and you've got Gakpo who started so hesitantly, really, looking like a, a proper Liverpool player. Suddenly you've got Nunez looking, you know, like a real threat. I, I didn't think he was brilliant from start to finish, but, I, you know, he just looked dangerous in the penalty area, those, those two headers. And Salah, who, although he scored a lot of goals, to me has not been anything like the same sustained, consistent threat this season, gave... Uh, Lissandro Martinez, the the most, and and Luke Shaw, the most terrible run around in the second half. I mean, 
you know, we, we've praised Martina since, since his, you know, since recovering from his debut. But it was he's called the butcher, isn't he? Well, well, he, you know, he didn't do much butchering yesterday. Obviously, Liverpool have got Jota coming back, Firmino coming back, Van Dijk's back. You can feel momentum building again. But I think with Liverpool this season, it's generally been, you know, once they've got two or three, four results together, then they've had a real you know, then they've had a real, really bad one and that's what they have to avoid at this point. Who do you think, Adam, out of that front three, yesterday was most important for? Because actually, they've all been questioned this season. I mean, we, we did a, a specific pod on, on Mo Salah's numbers this season. Yeah, I, th- I, look, I think Salah is, is, is the best of them and will always be the best of them, no matter what Nunez and Gakpo go on to do in their career I don't think you'll struggle to get many players who will ever do more than what Mo Salah's done for Liverpool and he was sensational yesterday and it, it it was weird because you know it felt like watching Luke Shaw against him it was almost like some sort of PTSD sat, came in with Luke Shaw in that second half where he'd obviously had really difficult experiences last season in the 5-0 home defeat against Mo Salah where there were some really similar moments in terms of the goals that were given away, just like failing to clear the ball really simply and it's sort of ricocheting weirdly. And, like, and there was a few moments like that in the first half that United got away with as well, where it was just knocking around the penalty area. And then as the game was going on, I was looking at some of those players who were involved in what happened last season and you could almost see them just thinking, oh my God, it's happening again and we don't know how to stop it. And these guys who are meant to be the guys that are going to stop it for us, the Casemiro's, the Martinez's, the Varane's, they're not stopping it either. But when I look at some of the performances, look at De Gea and Shaw and Fernandez, that's kind of the camp, Damo, that's kind of the camp I put them in. And then some of the more recent acquisitions, I have no idea what happened. Sano would always be the best of this Liverpool era. I mean, Mane was brilliant, but Sano is just a completely another level. And you watch him play and... Sometimes I watch him, he cuts in and you think he shouldn't be this difficult to stop. You know, it's not like he's he's, he's direct, but he's not he's not going to do a million stepovers. He's not going to deceive you, but he just always finds a way to, to get round people. And then he's incredibly clinical. I mean, the fourth goal was stunning, the finish off the bar as well, just split second. So Nunes, I think, got a lot of unfair stick, actually, first half of the season. I thought if you actually watched him play, he was getting the chances, he was making the runs, he was really unlucky. So I'm not surprised that he's now, you know, getting more recognition. The Salah finish, he was with his right foot. You know, that that um, that that first goal, Liverpool's fourth goal, you know, was thunderous shot with his with his right foot. And it was the type of finish that he's capable of finishing from anywhere, it seems. But he hasn't looked capable of finishing from anywhere this season. I know he scored loads of goals. But he just hasn't, to me, been the same threat this season. He's, he's he has struggled not as much as say Fabinho or Henderson has at, at various times. But his struggles, relatively speaking, have been symptomatic of of Liverpool's struggles. He he hasn't looked like the same player. But God, yesterday he did, and it was it was almost as if it was a real kind of performance that suggested to me that Liverpool were desperate to reassert themselves against United and put United back in their place uh, you know that th- they would be stinging from that defeat at Old Trafford back in August stinging from you know a lot of the praise that United have had sting- a lot of the criticism Liverpool have had but that was that was real you know it was real kind of get back in your box type performance 
Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. From here, Ronnie, if Liverpool didn't finish in the top four, would that be quite a big failure from here, given the momentum and the way that we're speaking this morning? I think the failure would, you know, I think it would be traced back to whatever they did in the first six months of the season. I, I, I think I think they look like a team who are going to go on a relatively decent run. Their form in the second half of the season, I think, is going to go down as better than their form in the first half of the season, I, I expect. But they've left themselves with relatively little margin for error. And they've got some really tough games coming up. And City and Arsenal and Newcastle, I think, and it, it Spurs. I, I see them as being sort of locked in a three-way battle. I, I think if there is failure, they, they don't make top four, I expect you will still be looking at a more, an improved performance in the second half of the season because I mean frankly it had to be the second half the first half of the season was totally unacceptable Every Liverpool performance as we know James, um, and this shows how ridiculous uh, the football and media world is, but every Liverpool performance is viewed through, is viewed through the lens of Jude Bellingham and, <laughs> and, and transfers and um, we've had many conversations about Liverpool being in transition after the defeat at home to Real Madrid. There was the discussion about Jude Bellingham looking at two clubs. Does one performance show that they are less in transition than was originally thought? No, I don't think. I don't think one performance does. But I think. I think it. It wasn't. It wasn't a complete bolt from the blue. It wasn't. It. It wasn't a kind of where the hell did that performance come from? Because there has been this general improvement over the past month since that debacle at Molyneux, the return of some defensive solidity that Liverpool just haven't had all season. You know, it, it's it's not it's not one of those ones where you kind of scratch your head and wonder, you know, how on earth has this group of players suddenly turned into this group of players? Because, you know, for a start, the biggest thing for me is getting Van Dijk and Canate back fit. You know, a lot of those punishing setbacks were with Matip and Gomez. At the heart of the defence, you know, Van Dijk and Canate have played six games together all season in all competitions. You know, that 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 kind of says a lot about the, the disruption that's been back there. F- Fabino, who, you know, by his own admission would say he's had the most difficult season of his Liverpool career. You know, he, he now looks like the old Fabino again, just the last couple of weeks. That kind of protection in front of the back four and... And just with that shape has suddenly now led to this kind of attacking fluency where people like Salah are getting much better service. So, so yeah, I think, it, you know, where, where Liverpool, I think, just to pick up what Adam said, I think Liverpool should now finish in the top four. I mean, three points behind Tottenham with a game in hand. They're the team with the momentum. They've got a huge couple of weeks coming up at the start of April where they go to City, they go to Chelsea, and then they face Arsenal at home. And that's why, it's, you know, the, the, these closing months of the season are big in the context of the summit. You mentioned Bellingham there. And, and Sunday was just a one signpost in the right direction. But it's about proving that, you know, there is life in this Jurgen Klopp project yet, that this isn't this isn't like the dying embers of a rain. You know, do you fancy joining us this summer and and trying to and trying to drag us out of the out of the dip, big hole that we've dug for ourselves. This is actually about showing, do you know what? It's actually not a complete rebuild. It's just 
this squad just needs bolstering in a couple of areas and then they will be back challenging for the big prizes again. Well, unfortunately, we've run out of time on the podcast and there's no time to talk about Manchester United. So, uh, that, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Adam, where do you want to start? You have to have context. These aren't excuses, but I was trying to think of reasons for you know for what happened yesterday. I do think the, the, the schedule probably caught up with them to a certain extent. You know, even in the past 10 days, they had a cup final. They had another game against Barcelona that I think a lot of the players treated as though it was a cup final in terms of the, the emotional, physical energy that went into that. I think if you look at actually how many players Ten Hag is really using at the moment, it's a pretty small pool. It's kind of 14, 15 players that he actually trusts to be playing most games. And he doesn't really change that team much. And we saw against West Ham midweek that when he did try to make five or six changes, it was pretty bad. And he had to then bring on Casemiro, Rashford. What does it tell us? It tells us, you know, Manchester United are quite as good as maybe some of us have convinced ourselves. But I do think I do think it was just it was a weird game. I'm kind of far more interested in what happens next in terms of the response to it than actually what, what happened. Because that will tell you how much damage there's been. You know, if you think back to the Man City game, which they lost 6-3, the response to that was fantastic. And so they didn't lose many games after, after I think they've only lost, what, Villa and Arsenal since then. And obviously yesterday, the response to the Brentford game was fantastic. I mean, people were saying during the game yesterday, oh, he's, he needs to go for another 10-mile run. I was like, actually, watching those players yesterday, I feel like they just need two days off. Mm. Like, just go, just go and clear your heads. Have a bit of a break. The problem is... That schedule is just unrelenting. And to be fair, as much as we did do a very positive podcast last week, we did also say it's just very possible that in a season where you're going for four trophies, three trophies, whatever it may be, you get these three or four day periods where all of a sudden you go from these huge highs to the whole world feeling like it's fallen in. And it's not normally 7-0 at Anfield, but I'm just not as worried about Manchester United as a result and scoreline suggests that I should be. The thing, Ollie, I suppose the most worrying thing is that they weren't overpowered in one sense, in the, in that the fact that there, were, there weren't 25, 30 shots on the United goal with, with Liverpool dominating in that sense, probably in the way that they did last season when they beat United 4-0 and, and 5-0, which felt like far more of a steamrollering, really, for Manchester United. I suppose the worrying thing for Manchester United fans were and Adam's alluded to it, a lot of the old, a lot of the bad traits from the dark years started to come back. Not closing down crosses, being unable to clear it. David De Gea, you know, letting everything in and not looking particularly confident. Bruno just walking around, flapping away. The old traits were back. That would be the concern, I suppose. I would struggle to pinpoint the exact point at which it went really downhill. I mean, obviously, the two goals right at the start. 2-0 nil or 3-0. Nil, 2-0 nil or 3-0. Nil. But it was really, it was, it would became a really kind of petulant, disunited performance. Yeah. Neville performance after that. And that, to me, is exactly what they haven't been the last uh, five months or so, you know, since that Man City defeat. And the fact that they've they've had those few games this season where, you know, they've they've conceded a you know handful of goals. You know, the four at Brentford, the the six at Man City, the 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 seven against uh, against Liverpool. To me, they are a completely different team than when they lost six three at City 
and even more than so than when they lost 4-0 at Brentford. But I thought their reaction after sort of the third and fourth is though, I mean, it was it was spineless. It was I, I get it. Unprofessional was what Ten Hag said, yeah, wasn't it? I mean, you said petulant, which is which is incredibly valid, and Ten Hag said unprofessional. I think there was two stages to it, though, Ollie. There was the stage at the start of the second half where mm. I actually thought they just chased it too hard. They were just chasing, trying to get back into the game too hard. It's a bit like a team that has come back quite a lot from a goal down in the past few weeks and just felt like, probably from the first half, like they could get at Liverpool. So there was that stage where they overchased and then that stage where they just became petulant. Yeah. And when you put them together, it, it just meant there was no point where they just accepted, we're just going to lose 3-0 and get out of it. They were petulant with each other as well yeah. and, and petulant in the way they, you know, not not just sort of kicking out or, or you know, shoving the linesman or whatever. It was, you know, it looked like people's heads were scrambled. They were making really silly mistakes and, it wasn't. It wasn't just the players who would have had sort of post-traumatic stress after after being gut through it last season. It was. I, I thought Casemiro was really poor yesterday. Even even in the first half, I thought Varane looked a bit ragged in the first half. I thought. I thought those two were probably more problematic in the first half than than say Shaw or or Fernandez or or whoever else. It was. It was a strange performance, and it became a really dishevelled one. And I. I, as I said at the start, I do think it's a lot easier to dismiss as a you know forty-five minutes of just a horror show than I mean it, it, it's it's it completely goes against it's completely at odds with what they've been doing lately in terms of the spirit resilience etc. But I do think there were some slightly alarming signs just in terms of character at three or four nil down. I, I yeah. you know Bruno Fernandez is has had pelters for for the way he performed and, and behaved really and and I think it was that showed to me that there's there are still weaknesses in in this team which has rightly been praised a lot lately. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Tony Evans here, host of Walk On, the Athletics' new look Liverpool podcast. 7-0! Seven, count them. One, two, three, 
four, five, six, seven. That's what Jürgen's boys can do. And to Manchester United, is that the game to ignite the Reds running? Well, we hope so. Join myself, James Pearce, Kiefer O'Neill and Andy Jones as we get stuck into Liverpool sticking it to United. Mo Salah's record-breaking afternoon as well as bringing you the best post-match analysis around. Just search Walk On wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm interested to see who the what learnings Ten Hag takes away from it, not in the next few weeks actually, but in the summer. I think there's some players that we'd kind of talked ourselves into thinking they were they'd sort of come full circle and were okay sort of going forward. And I do wonder whether although I didn't really think Deke was really at blame at fault for any of the goals yesterday. A couple of them were a bit soft, but almost at five nil you're like whatever at that point. But I have, I think he's one of the players that you just half wonder if Ten Hag looks at it and thinks, you know, when you see Allison, when you see Edison, when you see what those goalkeepers give to a team, and for a great shot stopper, he does concede a hell of a lot of a hell of a lot of yeah, goals, yeah. right? And I, I just half wonder if this is one of those moments that in you know in June, July, people will look back on and think, was that the day where Ten Hag made a decision? I think Dallow sent to the World Cup. I think Carl Anker, our colleague yesterday, points out he's been really quite office into the World Cup, another position where you start to think United might get away with it. Do they yeah, Varane and Martinez has been pretty solid, but how long can Varane go at that top level? I mean these, these that's a discussion we would never have had a week ago. Maybe that's un, unfair. And then obviously, you know, the what you know, the kind of they need a striker, right? They had two or three openings in the first half that Man United didn't have someone on the pitch at the level of Mo Salah. And until they do, they're not going to be back, unfortunately. James, they they looked aside three transfer windows out from where they want to be, probably. Which which is actually what they've what has been said most of the way. I think so. I mean you could probably argue can they they're probably a lot further down the road or they've probably looked further down the road this season than they probably should have been at this stage of Ten Hag's kind of mission to to transform them. Brutal reality check sums it up. I, I couldn't believe in that second half just how open they were on the counter-attack. Just, you know, it, it seemed almost every every Liverpool goal in that second half came from either United set-piece or a promising United attack. So would you put any of this on Ten Hag then? It's difficult, isn't it, to know how to what extent was it the manager's plan being disastrous or I think probably more likely was players just not carrying out orders because it was, you know, I, I it's just basics. When you when you look at you know what a contrast yesterday for me between the shift that people like Gagpo and Nunes put in and someone like Anthony, who I thought I thought Andy Robertson had by far and away his best game of the season, but he he was given a big helping hand by the fact that he, he was given the freedom of Anfield, made you know, yeah. pretty much from from Anthony. It just and and that you know that you can't tell me that he was under orders from Ten Hag to you know. I don't want you. I don't want you running around too much. You just conserve your energy. It was, um, yeah. It was. It was a real golf in you know not only quality in that second half, but but attitude. I think as well. I don't want to sort of go sort of too defensive on Man United here, but Man United will almost certainly end up having a better season than Liverpool. Yeah. Right. Like Man United will end this season with at least one trophy, and will I think finish above Liverpool in the table, which 
you know, would be a huge overperformance from Eric Ten Hag and a big underperformance from Liverpool. So it's a weird day in that at this moment in time, Manchester United feel miles behind Liverpool based on what we've seen in the past 24 hours. But in the broader context of the season, it can just be a, it can just be a blip. And this, you know, if Manchester United respond in the right way, actually, you know, it's not that this will always matter to the people that watched it, but it's a moment in time, isn't it? I don't know. The big criticism of Liverpool this season would have been about spirit about about application and, and about not having the intensity that they'd shown in previous seasons the big thing we've praised united for all season is how resilient they've been how you know showing a spirit and a, and a sort of fighting mentality that has been completely at odds with the previous you know with last season in particular but but with with most of the last 10 years so it felt like the tables turned completely at anfield on sunday and, and it was it was weird but i don't think I don't think anyone will be rushing to say, right, Liverpool are now that that's Liverpool's true level again, and that's Man United's true level again. I think I think yeah. both. I think United will probably find it. I mean, obviously it's extremely chastening, but it's it's probably such an extreme setback that there has to be a reaction to that. It yeah. is. Yeah. It's it's probably easier to brush off and respond to than. And something less extreme, where you where yeah. you might you think, oh, you know, where, where they might be blaming a referee or or, or something else, you know, that, that it was so extreme, you cannot fail to respond to that if, you, yeah. if you're the group of players that they are. And we would have looked at that United dressing room in the past and thought, well, who's going to lead them out of that? And maybe we question after yesterday, you know, is Fernandez going to is is Bruno going to be the be the big man and be the leader, maybe not. But I think Casemiro and Varane and maybe Rashford will will will, will, will stand up and and drag them out of it. And um, you know they've they've got some really big games coming up and um, but winnable games as well. So I, I I expect they'll I expect they'll be they'll dust themselves down and and get on with it. Why can't Liverpool? I, I presume this is the question kind of for Jurgen Klopp going forward. Is how can Liverpool be you know they beat a Man City at home? Battered Everton at home basically a couple of weeks ago as well. Turn it on against Man United. What? Why? That's never been something I would put against a Jurgen Klopp team that yeah. they only turn it on because that's quite old Liverpool to kind of yeah. turn it on at home against sort of the big rivals, but then kind of wilt away for the rest of the season. Has Klopp explained at any time, James, why he kind of thinks that's been the trend this season? No, I, I don't think. I don't think there's any. Thing there as they only raise it for for the the big ones. I, I I think it's more when you look at in the context of the season, the personnel he's had available at various times. I mean that that's essentially the biggest reason why they've picked up in the last month and taken thirteen points out the last fifteen is is the fact that he has got his two first choice centre backs back fit. You know he has the the fluency is is now started to come through. You know what is essentially you know the two thirds of a new look. Front line and, and and Fabino, who has been, you know, dreadful really for the most part. You know that Liverpool have just been wide open for most of the season. That has they've given away so many opportunities to teams that the idea that they would put together a run of five successive Premier League clean sheets just just seemed laughable. You know, a, a month ago. So um, so yeah, I think that you know there's so many factors behind it. You know, the 63 games last season. I think they they obviously massively kind of underappreciated I think how much that had taken out of this squad of players and then that you know, obviously the injuries compounded that you know the quick turnaround 
the shortened preseason, and then you know uh, you know what it's like as well when you when you suffer punishing setbacks, especially when you're a team that's not used to losing. You know morale does quickly sap away. As much as yes, you need to keep it in the context of it was a one-off. Yes, it was a freak. You know you're not going to have eight shots on target and score seven goals probably ever again. But when you look at the personnel Klopp's got now, he's in a much much better place than he's been all season. When you when you even when you look at the players he was able to bring off the bench yesterday, you know with with Jota with young Stefan Bassetic. no Thiago. Yeah, and you've got you know you've got Thiago to come back. You've got Luis Diaz who's barely kicked a ball for Liverpool all season. You know, he's he's a week or two away from playing again. There is substance to this. Well, Man United have Anthony Martial to bring back, so there. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, James, you haven't been this talkative on a podcast for ages. Can't, can't, can't shut you up at the moment. Well, uh, I'm sure we'll do one after Real Madrid. It's on. It's on. <laughs> I know. <laughs> James, Ollie, thank you very much. Adam, you got through it. Thank you. Thank you for being there to support me. Always, always. Back to the mini eggs. <laughs> Uh, if you're not already a subscriber take advantage of £1.99 a month for 12 months Uh, that's the latest offer just go to theathletic.com slash football pod thanks for listening The Athletic